Welcome to Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Please join Bishop and Kyle as they open today's show by praying the Regina Chaley. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. For he whom you did merit to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant, we beseech you, that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this all-new episode, Bishop reflects upon the Pope's new apostolic exhortation, including what it is and what we can learn from it. Then he talks about his recent visit to Miss Virginia's Food Pantry in Fort Wayne, the broader issue of serving the needy in our diocese, and our call to greater charity. The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions from listeners. If you would like to ask Bishop a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you again for taking some time out of your schedule to be with us. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to be here. And there's always things coming up on your schedule. I know you've got the uh, pilgrimage coming up in July. Uh, is it still people can still sign up for that? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kyle. I'm really looking forward to it. We have buses leaving from both Fort Wayne and South Bend on uh, Friday, July 20th. And then we return on the evening of Sunday, July 22nd, and we're calling it the Diocesan Heritage Pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. because we're really going to start at a place even before our diocese was founded. We're going to go down to Kentucky to the cathedral in Bardstown, because that was one of the first dioceses in the United States. So we were part of that diocese of Bardstown. I've never been there. I really wanted to go. And now we're just going to move back up into Indiana, visit some historic sites like St. Meinrad's Arch Abbey. Then we'll go to the first cathedral in Indiana, which is in Vincennes, where the first four bishops in Indiana are buried in the crypt. I I was there once, and I have special uh, devotion to to the first bishop in Indiana, who was Bishop Simon Gabriel Brute. So uh, I'm looking forward to pray at his tomb again, because he came to Indiana from Mount St. Mary's Seminary, where I served for many years. So I'm looking forward to going back to Vincennes, and and then we will also end at uh, a place I've never been, in Terre Haute, which has the, uh, the Sisters of Providence and Mother... Theodore Guerin, the Indiana saint, and I've never been there, and I heard it's a beautiful place. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the people of our diocese, so I invite any listeners, if you haven't signed up yet and you'd like to go on the pilgrimage, you can go on the diocesan website, find information about it, and register. I think it's going to be a great spiritual experience, but also just a, a nice opportunity to to just uh, tour and and pray and uh, and learn more about uh, the history of the church in our area. 
how much of this is a pilgrimage that you wanted to do and you're letting other people come along with you and how much <laughs> it is something that you really wanted to do for the people of the diocese? I would say both. Okay. I mean, I've never been to Bardstown. I've never been to St. Meinrad's. Uh -huh. I've never been to Terre Haute, St. Mary of the Woods. So I've been wanting to go there, but yeah. then I thought, well, why should I go by myself? <laughs> you know, why not invite yeah. the people of the diocese? Um, some years ago, I led a pilgrimage of people from the diocese to, uh, to Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg right. and uh, the National Shrine, the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington. And we had a great time. And a lot of people have been saying, Bishop, we want another pilgrimage. And because of my schedule, I just never got around to it. And then some months ago, I said, oh, in the summer, I could, I could do this. Yeah. All right. Well, people can find out more information about that on the diocesan website. Uh, and you can register there as well. DioceseFWSB.org. That's the Diocesan Heritage Pilgrimage, July 20th through 22nd. Uh, also, it's been out for almost a month now. Pope Francis released a new apostolic exhortation that I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, before we talk about that particular, can you explain the difference between an apostolic exhortation and an encyclical and uh, if there's a difference in the theology behind them or uh, infallibility and things like that? Well, that's an interesting question, Kyle, because uh, you know I've I've, re I've heard that question before, and it's not easy all the time to kind of distinguish. But but basically, they're all teaching documents of the Pope, and usually an encyclical would include material that's that's more authoritative, perhaps regarding a particular issue or uh, some matter of faith, mm -hmm. whereas an apostolic exhortation is more a, like the word exhortation says it's a it's kind of a document that encourages the faithful in their christian life oftentimes after synods of bishops the pope will issue an apostolic exhortation which would kind of summarize maybe some of the discussions that took place in the synod plus the pope's own reflections you know pope saint john paul ii wrote a number of apostolic exhortations after the various synods of bishops. So did Pope Benedict. And, and we know that Pope Francis wrote an apostolic exhortation a couple years ago after the two synods on the family. It's called Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love. Now, this new, and, and by the way, regarding authoritative things, um, there's other documents too. There's papal bulls, or and apostolic constitutions uh -huh. they tend to be more legal documents in other words they could cover a topic that that is um making a change in a, in a law of the church or something like that a modu proprio is another document given by the pope regarding legal matters but Really, apostolic exhortations are just as they say. They're exhortations to the faithful. Could be exhortation to, for example, in Amoris Laetitia, it's an exhortation to live the gospel teachings on marriage and family. This new apostolic exhortation is not the result of a synod. It's not a reflection on a synod of bishops, but it's it has a really, I'm just really happy to receive it. It's talking about holiness. You know, we've all heard of the Vatican II teaching on the universal call to holiness, that we're all called to be saints. And Pope Francis, you know, he has a very personal style 
when he writes. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of took this apostolic exhortation. It's almost like it's addressed to each of us individually and to the whole church so that you could read it as spiritual reading to help us to to become holier, to live our Christian life with with greater devotion and dedication. Well, and with a with a description like that, living a life of holiness and greater dedication, some people might actually have a negative connotation that goes with this, that to live a life of holiness is a life where you're giving up the joys of the world. But the actual title of this indicates the opposite, that it, rejoice and be glad that living that life of holiness is how we live out our vocational call and then that's going to bring us true joy. Exactly, the joy of the gospel. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting how Pope Francis begins the encyclical, I mean the encyclical apostolic exhortation. The Latin words, gaudete et exultate, rejoice and be glad. And that comes right out of the Beatitudes. If you recall, it's at near the end of the Beatitudes where our Lord declares that the persecuted are blessed. And then he says, rejoice and be glad, which really is pretty revolutionary that Jesus said, you know, if you are persecuted for my sake, you should rejoice, you know, and that's uh, very counterintuitive, but at yeah. the same time, it's, you know, sharing in the, in the cross of Jesus leads to the resurrection. So that's why we should rejoice in our sufferings that are united with Jesus. Mm-hmm. This kind of callback and uh, a reminder of the call to holiness and, and Pope Francis kind of reinvigorating this discussion, why do you think now is a good time or maybe a, a necessary time for, for us to be reminded of this? Because I think sometimes we have other priorities in life. And... Um, mm-hmm. And really, to become holy should be our number one priority. So this is a reminder uh, that's really important for all of us. You know, we can look and say, okay, what's most important to me? How do I spend my time? And the Pope is basically saying, you know, we're called to be holy in our daily lives. Small gestures, little things, living our own personal vocations, whether as uh, ordained or religious, lay people, married and single, uh, widowed, that we're all called, we all receive God's grace and are called to live in his grace, to live in his love, according to our own individual circumstances. Was there anything that surprised you when reading through it? Um, I don't know that anything surprised me because a lot of themes you see in other writings of Pope Francis. Uh I would say, though, that what impacted me the most spiritually was chapter three. I love chapter three of it, where the Pope does a a reflection or a meditation on the the Beatitudes. Hmm. Last year, I, I gave some conferences in some parishes on the Beatitudes, and I encouraged people to, uh, to carry a copy of the Beatitudes in their pockets. And uh, when I gave these conferences, I did a lot of reflection and reading about the Beatitudes. I wish this would have been there, because I think it's very beautiful how Pope Francis takes each Beatitude and, and writes about it. And it's very clear it comes from his own 
prayer life, you know, his own Lexio Divina, his own meditation on the Beatitudes, which really are the way of Jesus. I mean, the Beatitudes are really a description of Jesus's life. So I think that was the chapter that uh, impacted me the most. Is this something that you would recommend everybody that's listening should read this? Or is there a certain uh, person that would you would especially recommend reading it, and maybe some people that wouldn't necessarily benefit from it? I think everyone could benefit from it. It's it's very readable. It's not, you know, sometimes church documents can be a little dry. Um, and uh, uh, But I think this is written in a very accessible way for everybody. And I think everyone could benefit from it. Maybe different parts would impact people differently. You know, one interesting part is is uh, is in the last chapter where the Pope talks about spiritual combat. And we've heard this a lot from Pope Francis, that we shouldn't dismiss the devil as a myth hmm. or as a just some figure of speech or some idea that he's real. And, um, you know, I think for some of us, I mean, for most of us or all of us, there is a battle. Uh, spiritual combat in our lives because we experience temptations. And I think Pope Francis gives us some really good help in how to fight that battle. You know, the Lord equips us with his word, with the sacraments, with the sacrament of reconciliation, the Holy Eucharist, Eucharistic adoration. He writes about all these things. And um, those are the the gifts we, we receive in, so that we can fight the good fight, so to speak. Um, and then he also, in that light, talks about the importance of discernment, which is a gift that he talks about in many other uh, speeches or homilies that mm-hmm. he gives. And he talks about that's really needed today because in our contemporary life, there's so many distractions and it's important for us to discern God's will, to listen to the Lord in prayer, and when we do, you know, that leads to our continual conversion. It leads to growth. So Pope Francis is encouraging all of us to do a daily examination of conscience in a sincere dialogue with the Lord in prayer so that we truly are listening to the Lord and discerning his will for us. That's so important in the, in the journey of holiness. Mm-hmm. Any tips for that discernment? I mean, maybe just reading this might help you to know what to pray for, what to ask for, but for those kind of feeling lost or maybe that they're not really kind of hitting what God's calling them to and are looking for that discernment. Yeah, I mean, I think Pope Francis um, talks about this um, because often in discernment, we're challenged. We're challenged to to live the gospel more fully but it takes humility that's a very important virtue you Hmm. know without humility there's no growth in the other virtues we have to be humble to recognize our sinfulness and uh, i mean remember when pope francis early on he was asked by an interviewer who is jorge mario bergoglio and Mm -hmm. he said uh, very simply i am a sinner right you know and that's that's something we all have to there's a lot of pride which is the source of many other sins 
Uh, so we need that, that humility before the Lord. There's another uh, issue that the Pope talks about, which I really, which he's talked about many other places, is how it takes real boldness or courage to live the faith in the world today. You know, he refers to that Greek word parousia, which is translated boldness. We find it in the Acts of the Apostles. And during this Easter season, we're hearing from the Acts of the Apostles as the first reading in the liturgy, this boldness in living our faith and and evangelizing and having courage to, to be Christian. This is something I talk about a lot at my confirmation masses with the young people, how the Holy Spirit gives us this gift, this fortitude that we need to live our faith with conviction. So the Pope is really calling the whole church to, to have this, uh, this apostolic courage, this, this boldness, this enthusiasm that we need to be passionate about our faith yeah. and be passionate missionaries. He's saying we don't need more bureaucrats and functionaries. He says we need missionaries. You know, that theme of missionary discipleship is central in, uh, in the pontificate of Pope Francis. All right. We should mention that it's not really terribly long, uh, much shorter than some of the other encyclicals and things. Uh, you can find it on the Vatican website for free, download it, uh, read through it there, or you can get printed copies at any Catholic bookstore or online as well. So check that out. Again, it's the Apostolic Exhortation from Pope Francis, Rejoice and Be Glad, and I'll let you do the, the Latin for that. Yeah, Gaudete et Exultate. Thank you. You know, and that's, that's really important, that, that title, because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the, hmm. po- the Pope points out how the saints were were joyful and often even humorous at times, you know, and I think that's neat. I think of saints like St. Philip Neri had great sense of humor, that they always radiated this spirit of hope, and um, they witnessed to the joy of the gospel. We really need that in the mm-hmm. church today. The Pope can be quite critical about, um, what would I call it, this pessimistic sadness that doesn't attract anyone to Christ and the church, you know. As a matter of fact, the Pope's pretty strong. He said sadness can be a sign of ingratitude for God's gifts. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we experience moments of sadness in our lives. We have sufferings and death of loved ones, whatever. But he's calling us to have that spirit of hope, to have like a positive spirit. One thing he says is, is ill humor is no sign of holiness. Hmm. Um, And I think that's very true. And, you know, real joy doesn't come from material things. It doesn't come from really our consumerist culture, our individualistic culture. True joy comes from the gospel. It comes from love. And sometimes I experience Catholics who are angry and, and, um, you know, just, just are not radiating that joy and and um, we all have to guard against that. Yeah. Um, our faith is a, and our religion is, is one of hope. I mean, the resurrection is the crowning truth of our faith. Can people really see that we joyfully follow Christ? Anyhow, these are all important points to ponder. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, Coming up, we're going to chat with Bishop about his visit to Miss Virginia's Food Pantry, how the church is helping the poor, and we'll have questions submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman. We're going to get to some of the questions that you have sent in for Bishop to answer. Uh, Before we do, Bishop, I wanted to talk a little bit about your visit. Uh, Recently, you went to Miss Virginia's Food Pantry back on April 17th. Uh, How did that go? I really enjoyed it. You know, it's only a few blocks away from my residence near St. Mary's Church in Fort Wayne. And um, I had heard about it when I was uh, leading the Stations of the Cross at St. Mary's Parish during Lent one Friday evening, the executive director of operations for Miss Virginia's Food Pantry was talking to me and he was telling me about Miss Virginia's Food Pantry and invited me to come over. So Uh I thought, oh yeah, I'd like to. So I'm really glad I had that opportunity. I learned about Miss Virginia. Basically, the reason it's named for her is where this this food pantry is located was where was her home. And for over 40 years, she would serve the poor and the needy from her home. So after she died, which was in 1998, there were people who wanted to continue her work, and that's why they started this this food pantry. And um, I also, when I was there visiting, I was really uh, amazed when I looked at a a large and large photo uh, on the wall of Mother Teresa yeah. visiting Miss Virginia, Virginia Schrantz, visiting that very home back in 1982. Mm-hmm. So we here we had a, a saint who visited that home. Anyhow, there are many volunteers. When I visited, it was really neat. They were, and there was a long line of people, um, very well organized as uh, people came in and, and received uh a bag of food that they were able to choose from different categories of food and um, they have a a balanced and nutritional food program where they they want to focus on providing nutritional food and it's it's an organization that's totally supported by by donations so i encourage people if if they want to contribute to to do so either with money or or canned goods or foods, you can go on um, their website, I guess, and, and find out what they need. Um, and, and it's in a neighborhood where there are a lot of needy people, and um, they they really are providing food to, you know, I forget the exact number, but but hundreds uh, of people. I think um, maybe even a few thousand. I, did I mention the name of the executive director who invited me? I don't think so. Joe Miller. Okay. Joe Miller, great guy. And uh, and then all the hardworking volunteers. Um, I was really impressed. And also some of the board members, they have a board, were there as well. And, and they're just so dedicated to feeding the hungry. And so what do you do when you go there? Do you, do they ask for a blessing on the place or yeah i mean i don't remember i i give you a tour i think i did do a blessing but they gave me a tour okay and i was able to greet not only the volunteers but some of the people who were receiving food as a matter of fact before i went in i was outside with the people who were waiting in line and, <laughs> and um and, and it was clear they were so grateful for the help but then they took me all over around the house where they store the food where they receive the food and 
that was very interesting um yeah so it's it's um it's another example of our people catholic people but others as well who are trying to live the gospel mm-hmm. by um especially the injunction in matthew 25 i was hungry and you gave me to eat and I want to talk about that, but first of all, you can check out Miss Virginia's Food Pantry online at MissVirginiaFoodPantry.com if you're interested in learning more about their work or getting involved. Uh, but that idea of helping the poor, serving the poor, how do you think we're doing uh, in the diocese as on our parishes and uh, all the different ministries that are happening either within the parish or outside the parish? Do you think that we're doing a good job of reaching out to those in need, or do you think there's a lot of room for growth in that area and and still a lot of need to be attended to? We are doing a lot. I mean, I see so much. Uh, You know, this is just one example. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some are more official, like Catholic Charities, of course, which Mm -hmm. is our diocesan organization to serve the needy in our diocese. But then there are so many other Catholic initiatives on the level of parishes, parishes that have soup kitchens and food banks and and other things. And then there are other Catholic organizations led by the laity, um, everything from Women's Care Center to the Christ Child Society, the St. Vincent de Paul Society Mm -hmm. with conferences in dozens of our parishes, both in Fort Wayne side and the South Bend side. So there's a tremendous amount being done. Is it enough? No, it's never enough because Mm. there are so many needs. And we do work together, for example, with Catholic Charities, uh, partnering with other charitable organizations because sometimes we do mutual referrals. Some, some charitable groups have more expertise in one area or another. There's kind of a network of charitable service, but I think every parish should be looking at that, asking that question, how are we serving the poor and the needy in our midst? often think back to the Acts of the Apostles when it described that first Christian community in Jerusalem. And uh, St. Luke tells us that there was no one needy among them. Mm-hmm. You know, they made sure their love was such that, that they took care of the needs of, of the poor in their midst. So that's a continual call. So we should never rest on our laurels or think that, okay, yeah. we don't have anything more to do. No, the Lord is always calling us to greater charity. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I've seen some debate about should our churches be open, maybe even 24 hours, allowing those that might not have a place to stay to come in and stay. Security questions come into play with that. And uh, do you have any thoughts on what we should be doing as a church regarding that? Well, I think the care of the homeless is really important. I think we have to be concerned about safety, Mm -hmm. even the safety of people who may be coming to us and we're providing housing, you know, they need to be protected. So, you know, we have to be intelligent about it, but I do think that um, we should make sure that all the homeless in our midst have a place to go for shelter. Sometimes, again, it might be referrals where parishes can refer to a, a mission that houses people. But, yeah, I think um, sheltering the homeless is one of the corporal works of mercy. And then you've mentioned this in a previous question from a listener, but maybe this is a good time to revisit this. But if we see somebody that's asking us for money or uh, for food or something on the street, any suggestions on how we do it? Should we refer them to these services that are available uh, or do what we can in the moment to help them? 
I mean, I try to do what I can in the moment, if possible. Um, where I live, and I, I have a lot of poor people in the neighborhood where I live, sometimes I'll give them a card that refers them to Catholic charities, mm. but I'll often try to give them some help at that, that spot. Some parishes have vouchers, which is a really good idea, so that maybe a voucher for food at a local grocery store sure. or a local restaurant, whatever. So there's various ways, uh, yeah. but I think we shouldn't. We should definitely shouldn't ignore someone like that. I think of the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Mm. You know, I know there's that sentiment. Well, they might just go out and use it for alcohol or drugs or something, and I guess that is possible. But I guess I tend to try to give the person the benefit of the doubt. But one way to avoid that, if one's concerned about that, maybe about a particular person, you know. A food voucher mm -hmm. or something like that would probably be more prudent yeah yeah all right well thank you so much uh, if you have questions for bishop you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop where you can find past episodes of the show as well you can call or text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 coming up bishop will answer questions that people have submitted about what to do when people don't listen, or finding a spiritual director, and what makes a Monsignor, and more. All that coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. I'm asking questions that you have submitted for Bishop to answer. Our first question comes from Lori Massa from St. Vincent de Paul in Elkhart. She cites Mark 10, verses 14 and 15, which says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. She goes on to ask, Many times there are people in our lives that have attempted to share our faith with, and we see how the choices that they've made and continue to make cause them pain and disorder. They ignore our advice and yet still come to us asking for help. Does this scripture apply to them? If so, what should be our response? If not, how does a conscientious Christian help without enabling a person to continue in bad or sinful habits? Wow, that's a lot of questions. Those are, <laughs> are really uh, important questions. Yeah. Um, I want to say something, though, that that, that uh, citation is not mark it's matthew matthew chapter 10 okay not mark chapter 10 uh, actually mark does has a similar thing that in chapter 6 uh, but that quote that you just read is really from matthew but anyhow okay <laughs> sorry kyle okay. um <laughs> uh you know we've all had that experience that that Lori shared where we have might have people in our lives that we're trying to help and yet they make choices that that are not good that cause pain and uh as she mentioned disorder they ignore our advice and and they keep coming back but they keep making a mess i don't think that passage is an exact application i mean because really what jesus is talking about is the disciples as missionaries going from town to town and if they aren't welcomed or listened to that they should leave the town and shake the dust off their feet i think that's an important teaching of our lord because you know the the idea is the gospel will not always be heated you know and 
And the apostles were really called to preach the gospel to the whole world. So if they weren't welcomed or accepted, they moved on. Now, I think it can partially be applied to what we're talking about here. In other words, sometimes, despite all the help or guidance or counsel we try to give people, and they still keep ignoring it or rejecting it and keep coming back, you know, I think it calls for tough love. I think Mm -hmm. of uh, someone, for example, with drugs or alcohol and uh, trying to help them, get them into a program, they refuse the help. We shouldn't be enabling bad behavior or harmful behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's hard sometimes, you know, but but sometimes that tough love is the best thing we can get to someone, which may be then to say, well, no, I'm not going to help you unless you get help. So I think that's an application in a sense of that verse in a wider sense that scripture we don't want to enable a person's bad or sinful habits mm-hmm. and our our response though it needs to always be love always but love sometimes needs to be that tough love sure so hopefully that's helpful yeah all right michael beard from sacred heart warsaw said how would one find a spiritual director wow michael that's a that's a good question It's not always easy. I'll start out with that because, as a matter of fact, I would say we have a shortage of spiritual directors. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, our priests who who may be qualified to give spiritual direction have so many responsibilities that they don't have time. Mm -hmm. I do recommend sometimes there's retired priests who can serve as spiritual directors or maybe priests who, who don't have as many responsibilities as others. But not always priests either. I mean, they're spiritual directors among the religious, among the laity. And um, it could be that uh, those who've perhaps studied the art of spiritual direction, sometimes it could be someone that just one knows that, that this person has a lot of wisdom, this person is a person of prayer, they can give me good guidance, and, and you could go and ask that person. But there's no, like, list of spiritual directors. There's no... Uh, sometimes in... Um, you know, I, th- I would suggest someone ask their parish priest if mm-hmm. if he would know of someone who could give good spiritual direction. Sure. Um, sometimes there are retreat centers where people can go, where there are actually trained spiritual directors that will offer that service. I have two priests right now who are, are studying to be spiritual directors. Okay. Um, but it's even a problem sometimes for our priests to find good spiritual directors. <laughs> Now, we're fortunate in our diocese because we have a lot of priests, uh, Holy Cross priests on the South Bend side, Mm -hmm. uh, who are retired and perhaps have the time to offer spiritual direction. So I'll sometimes refer people there Mm -hmm. if they're from that that side of the diocese. I'd say it's a little more challenging on the Fort Wayne side of the diocese. Is this something that you could do online or over the phone with somebody? Yeah, I mean, I've heard that. I mean, it's probably better face-to-face, sure. but uh, um, I'm not sure about online, uh, but I do know of some who would do it by phone. How do we know if we need a spiritual director? Well, that's a good question. You know, if one is, for example, struggling to discern something, God's will in their life, a good spiritual director can be very helpful. Okay. When someone is discerning vocation, um, 
when young men come talking about their discerning the priesthood, we'll often recommend to them that they get a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Another listener asked, does Bishop decide which priests become Monsignors and how many Monsignors are in our diocese? Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many Monsignors are in our diocese. (laughs) I would have to go and look in our directory. I did know that a few years ago, but I don't remember. But I remember the Vatican. Well, first of all, it's it comes from the Pope. The Vatican names okay. Monsignors, but at the recommendation of a local bishop. So a bishop can send, can ask the Holy See to give this honorary title to a particular priest or priests. Now, Pope Francis, a few years ago, limited it. He said that he would no longer allow priests under the age of sixty-five. Hmm. to be named Monsignors. So that really limited it. Um, And even before Pope Francis, there was also a limit on the number where a bishop could not request uh, more than 10% of his priests to be Monsignors. I remember some years ago, I was looking at that, that we were already at that 10%. But I don't know where we stand right now. I'd have to look at the numbers. But again, it's um, it's usually an honor-given to, to a priest who's given really noteworthy service to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard, though, to select. I mean, I'll be honest, as a bishop, to single out certain priests. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, um, I don't want other priests to, to, you know, to feel bad in any way. So it's, it's not, an, I mean, some bishops really struggle with this. Some bishops never um, don't request any uh, to become Monsignors. Mm-hmm. I've only done it, uh, I've only had, I think, two Monsignors that I requested, and that was when I was Bishop of Harrisburg. Okay. And um, and that was before Pope Francis uh, put this ban on any under the age of 65. Uh-huh. All right. Well, if you have questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have more of your questions coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've submitted. One of the questions submitted was... In the Palm Sunday reading of the Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark chapter 14, verses 50 through 52, it states that a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. Why is this even mentioned? Who and what is the significance? That's something I think I'd like to ask the Lord when we, you know, in heaven. Uh, No, uh, it is kind of a strange incident, you know, and it's only in Mark's gospel. You know, by the way, last week was the feast of St. Mark. And, you know, there's an opinion out there among some uh, scholars, and it may go back centuries, that that young man was actually St. Mark. Uh Uh-huh. Did you ever hear that? I have heard that. Yeah. But anyhow, it is. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about yeah. this. So there's no clear-cut answer to those questions. Uh, first of all, it's strange that this guy would only be wearing a linen cloth because uh-huh. um, that wouldn't keep one warm. And this was at night, you know. So that was odd. Oh, okay. And linen cloths were expensive. So that's another thing. Uh-huh. Um, 
now keep in mind when this is mentioned in the in the passion account by mark the other disciples had already fled they had already ran away but this young man was still following jesus i think that's significant but mm-hmm. then but then when he was seized he also ran away mm-hmm. he fled also so so I, I wonder about the meaning of it um i think maybe what makes most sense to me is maybe this is an an image of what happens when we abandon jesus that we're running off naked which is a sign of misery a sign of shame that when we abandon the lord we we really end up in misery we we run off into the darkness and you know nakedness would be a a sign of of shame Mm -hmm. from the even back in the book of genesis so that's kind of the meaning that i would see in it there's another thing that you might want to think about connecting is is at the resurrection remember there's another young man clothed in a white robe who appeared at the empty tomb and announced the resurrection to the women so i'm wondering mm. you know perhaps that is symbolic of a disciple's restoration to dignity and to faithful discipleship that you have the one who had ran away and left the cloth behind and now you have another young man clothed in a white robe at the empty tomb teaching us that there is the restoration to dignity and to discipleship yeah you know that's something to think about yeah all right jason wardwell from saint elizabeth ann seton fort wayne said do angels have free will and if so is it different than the free will of man and how great question you know sometimes when we we write about or or talk about the angels it's speculative Mm -hmm. because you know this is another realm right but you know a spiritual you know angels and i've spoken about angels on this program before they have a spiritual nature and a spiritual nature by definition has the capacity of free will so i think i would answer yes uh, angels have free will um obviously we know that because some of the angels at the beginning by their free will chose to rebel against god Mm -hmm. and they became demons so yes there's free will at the same time when we talk about the angelic will you know i think similar to human will what happens in heaven when there's the beatific vision once a person is in heaven they will not choose to rebel against god i mean we don't we know that those in heaven humans i'm speaking about mm-hmm. will never go to hell they will not because they're having the beatific vision does that mean they're not free no it just means that being in the presence of god they really can't sin i mean they they're experiencing god's goodness in in fully you know and they're not going to turn away from him but then that makes one wonder well what about the angels they were in the presence of god and Mm -hmm. they turned away from him yeah they they rebelled against him well a lot of uh, i think you know the fathers of the church and saint thomas aquinas and others will write about this and they'll say that there was a a period of trial for the angels that they really didn't at the beginning have the full beatitude we call it the full blessedness of heaven that they had this period of trial 
when they could make a choice to serve and love the Lord or to rebel against him. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, this is a lot of speculative theology. I always look to St. Thomas Aquinas with some of these difficult questions yeah. some, sometime. And uh, St. Thomas says that, yeah, the angels have free will, but the angels who are in heaven cannot sin. That's interesting, yeah, because they're beholding God face to face, and it's impossible then to turn away from him. All right. So anyhow, <laughs> hopefully that helps. But uh, some of these questions, you know, do cause us to ponder sure uh you know i hope i answered it satisfactorily or at least was somewhat helpful yeah all right well thank you so much bishop this has been great again uh could we get your episcopal blessing before we go sure the lord be with you and with your spirit blessed be the name of the lord now and forever our help is in the name of the lord who made heaven and earth may almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit amen thank you so much bishop you're welcome kyle Join us next Wednesday at noon for another new episode of Truth in Charity. Bishop Rhodes will talk about the Feast of the Ascension, Marian devotion, and much more. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.